Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy 6. And you'll find that on page 1180, 1180 in your pew Bibles. First Timothy six. This is God's word. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers, rather. They must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now our text, 3 through 10, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching or the doctrine that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee, flee these things, the desire to be rich, the love of money, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment or everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as 
good, a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Verses 3 through 10 is our text. If we could keep our Bibles open and work our way through these verses together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you eat healthy food, what can you expect? To be a healthy person. But if you eat unhealthy food that's contaminated or toxic or junk, what can you expect? Get food poisoning, get very, very sick, just be unhealthy. Well, the, the same is true of your doctrinal diet. Eating teaching, eating doctrine. If you eat healthy doctrine, what can you expect? To be spiritually and ethically healthy. Healthy in faith and godliness. But if you eat unhealthy doctrine, unsound teaching, what can you expect? To get very, very sick spiritually and ethically. And you will die if you don't change your diet. You will die. And that's Paul's concern for Timothy's ministry in Ephesus and for Bible preachers and teachers everywhere. Remember how he opened the book. You have to charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. And you have to teach the good doctrine here at Ephesus because that's his main point. Doctrines have consequences. Healthy doctrine has good consequences. Unhealthy doctrine has terrible consequences. Preachers and teachers of the gospel have a great responsibility. And that's why Paul said at the end of chapter 5, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. Don't be too quick to ordain people. Because preachers and teachers of the gospel have a great responsibility to teach good doctrine that leads to good health. And to avoid and reject and shun Bad doctrine that leads to bad health and destruction. There's so much weighing on what we preach and teach. So doctrine has consequences, brothers and sisters. That's what we want to see in this passage. First, that unhealthy doctrine produces unhealthy cravings that produce destruction. And secondly, healthy doctrine produces contentment, which is great gain. So first, unhealthy doctrine, which is his main point here. And then healthy doctrine, which he touches on and then picks up on in verse 11 and following, which we hope to look more fully at later. But both are spoken of here. First, the unhealthy doctrine leads to unhealthy cravings that bring disastrous consequences in people's lives. Now notice that after instructing slaves to honor their masters, Paul says, command and urge these things. The end of verse two, what things? Urge what things? Slaves, honor your masters? Well, yes, but much more because it goes all the way back. If you look back two chapters, chapter four, verse 11, he says, command and urge these things. Four, verse 11. And that refers to what comes even before that. You gotta reject the doctrine of demons, four, verse one. That lead to ungodliness. 
And you got to receive and teach the good doctrine, the words of faith and of the good doctrine you have followed for verse 6. He's already distinguished between the doctrines of demons that destroy people and the words of the faith and of the good doctrine you have followed that bring godliness, 4 verse 6. So this command here, to reject the bad doctrine, the different doctrine, the word is heterodoxy instead of orthodoxy. This command to reject the bad doctrine and teach the good doctrine, the sound teaching, the sound words, really covers all of chapters four, five, and six. It's a summary. And really covers the whole book, because remember, chapter one opens with that call to Timothy to stay in Ephesus and fight. One verse three, fight the good fight against those teaching a different doctrine. And to teach that good doctrine that leads to godliness. And, and now he, he started with that at the beginning of the book. That's his concern, the good doctrine that leads to godliness. To fight the bad doctrine that leads to ungodliness. He comes back to that now at the end of the book. Command and urge these things. And he says in verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, a heterodoctrine, heterodoxy, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sound words, and the teaching that accords with godliness, the teaching that brings godliness. If anyone does not agree with that, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Bad doctrine here is called a different doctrine. Good doctrine is called, I love that phrase, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the teaching the doctrine that accords with, that agrees with, that produces godliness. What makes sound doctrine so healthy? That word sound actually means healthy. You could translate it, the healthy doctrine. It's healthy spiritually. It's healthy morally. It's healthy for faith. It's healthy for life, for godliness. And what makes it so healthy? Well, it's the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is not only that it comes from Jesus, and it certainly means that. The whole Bible is from Jesus. All its good doctrine is from Jesus. But that it's also about Jesus. It's full of Jesus. That when you eat this healthy doctrine, you're eating Jesus. You really are. His person and his work. Remember the mystery of godliness in chapter 3, verse 16. If you just look back, couple of chapters to right at the end of chapter three where he says great indeed is the mystery of godliness see that great indeed is the mystery of godliness what is it Christ he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit seen by angels preached among the nations believed on in the world and taken up in glory the mystery of godliness is Jesus Christ himself. When you eat sound doctrine, you're eating him, all that he is and said and did. And eating Jesus is going to make you a very, very healthy person. You know eating Jesus doesn't mean finding him physically and taking a bite out of him. But he serves up himself here in his word and in the preaching and teaching of his word. And you eat that as your food and drink unto life eternal. 
That's what it means to eat Jesus. And that's going to make you a very healthy person. And that's what Paul wants for Timothy and for Ephesus and for all the churches. But that's above all what God wants for us. He wants us to be healthy. Heresy is not just wrong. It's poisonous. It it really destroys people's lives. Destroys, Destroys their faith and their godliness. The true doctrine is the opposite. That's Paul's concern here. When you teach a different doctrine, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, verse 3, he's puffed up with conceit. And he understands nothing. I mean, he understands nothing about Jesus Christ. He might say a little bit about Jesus here and there, throw in a few Jesus words. But it's not eating and drinking Jesus Christ. It's not focused on his person and work as our Savior It's not about Jesus as being the beginning, middle, and end of our salvation. But a different doctrine is always one that talks about human efforts to save yourself. Remember that? In chapter 3, the doctrine of demons, the Spirit expressly teaches us that in the last days, people will depart from the faith and teach doctrines of demons, which basically says godliness comes through your own works, forbidding marriage and teaching people to abstain from certain foods and there through your own efforts and works and routine and regimen and rigor, you can save yourself. And as Paul says in Colossians, those human rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, do nothing to stop the indulgence of the flesh. Do nothing to create godliness. They they might look powerful. Oh, that really makes me a changed person. It doesn't. It does nothing to cure me from the love of money and from whatever addictions I have. Because there's no Jesus in it as its center. Look at the two unhealthy consequences of false doctrine. Again, Three, if anyone does or teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound doctrine or words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Here's the first unhealthy craving or consequence. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. False doctrine yields two unhealthy cravings. And the first one is an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. And that leads to all kinds of bad fruit like envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction. Brothers and sisters, the love of controversy is extremely unhealthy and destructive to the soul and to Christ's body. We can get in that mode where we just love nothing but better than a good theological fight and even develop a craving for that. Now, Arguments can be healthy and sharpening one another. No problem with that. But just love 
the love to unsettle people, to take a little theological hand grenade of my personal opinion and throw it into the crowd and see the sparks fly. That's an unhealthy craving. That comes from false doctrine. It leads to all kinds of bad fruit. It makes the person, not the Christ, the center of attention. It pits people against each other in envy, slander, constant fighting. It damages the body of Christ. And there's a world of difference, brothers and sisters, between the love of truth. I've certainly had to learn this myself over the years. The love of truth. And for that, we must fight the good fight of faith. There's a world of difference between the love of truth and the love of controversy. Where people in the love of controversy gain notoriety not for the gospel but for controversy. It's a perverse thing. They refuse to be taught the gospel, persist in their own homespun views and like to gather to themselves a, a group of cantankerous people who are spiritually off key. Talk about Jesus but they're not centered on him, they're centered on rabbit trails distractions, diversions, theological diversions. It it becomes a bit of a sport for people. But let's flee from that craving, that unhealthy craving for controversy. It's a plague and may the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the first unhealthy craving of a different doctrine. It's Unhealthy craving for controversy. And the second one is imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Unhealthy craving for cash. And if you jump ahead to verses 9 and 10, he continues with that theme. Takes a little break in verses 6 through 8, but goes back to that unhealthy craving, that second unhealthy craving of false doctrine, a craving for cash. Verses 9 and 10, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is root of all kinds of evils. It is through this, and there's that word again, craving. Here's a second unhealthy craving. Through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Take note, the problem is not with being rich, but desiring to be rich, verse 9. And the problem is not money, verse 10, but the love of money. Be very clear about that. But that's the second unhealthy craving that comes with unhealthy doctrine, a craving for cash. These false teachers imagine that godliness is a means of gain. They grew up with that. Remember Paul and Silas in Ephesus? And they cast this demon out of a slave girl who's being used as a means of promoting the sale of images of Diana, the goddess. And he cast a demon out of her. And her owners, her slave owners are mad that now Paul's taking away, the gospel's taking away their business. They used religion as a means of financial gain. That was common in Ephesus. And some after they so-called converted to the Christian faith continued to follow that way of doing religion. I have a new way of making more money. 
It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ, except they weren't teaching the gospel. It just was an appearance of it. They were teaching their own homespun opinions. But they talked about godliness or used godliness, religion, an appearance of the Christian religion as a way of gain. A way to gain power, prestige, and money for themselves. And then in verses 9 and 10, the Holy Spirit describes this unhealthy craving of the false teachers in all its horrible and disastrous ugliness. There are five, at least, five disastrous results of this unhealthy craving in verses 9 and 10. First, it tempts people. The desire to be rich, the love of money tempts us to do wrong things to get more money, even things we did not think we could ever do. You see, a heart that follows the money always goes down the wrong side roads. You'll end up going down the wrong side roads because you're following the money. And every side road you go down opens up new storefronts of sin. It tempts us, it said. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And then, secondly, you'll get trapped by those temptations. Secondly, it traps. They will fall into a snare. When the love of money gets a hold on you, it grips you and won't let you go. It drives you and won't let you slow. People pursue money because they think it'll set them free. But like every addiction, it's a prison that controls you and kills your soul. Somebody describes it this way. Materialism is like drinking seawater. You know, seawater has a high concentration of salt. So the more you drink, the thirstier you get. In fact, drinking seawater will actually cause you to become dehydrated more quickly. And if you continue drinking it, you'll eventually go unconscious and die. It's a trap. You think you're quenching your thirst, but you're only increasing it and destroying yourself. It traps. Secondly, it harms They fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It makes you selfish and brutal because it's all about the money. The the Bible says that when you make something your God, you become like it. When you worship the true God, you become like him. He shapes and fashions you into his image. But when you worship a false God, you become like it. Money is cold, cash is callous, and we become like that. And it leads us to cheat and steal and quarrel and resent and lie and manipulate. It's harmful. It leads me to ignore the needy, to trample the weak, to be callous to other people's calamities. It makes me unjust and immoral. The love of money really is a root of all kinds of evil, a breeding ground for thousands of other sins it harms. And fourthly, it ruins faith. It plunges people into ruin and destruction. And through this craving, verse 10, some have wandered away from the faith. Remember what Jesus 
warned in the parable of the soils that some soil lands on, or some seed of the kingdom lands on the thorny soil. It's good soil in, in many ways, and it, it sprouts and grows. That person comes to faith of a certain kind, a temporary faith, not a real one. But as it grows, the weeds grow up around it and eventually choke it out. And Jesus says those weeds are the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this world. You get so tied up with your hobbies and your love of making more and more money and getting more and more things that starts to squeeze out prayer and Bible study and Christian fellowship and going to church and finally you fall away. It ruins faith. And so Jesus warned us, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And yet you lose your soul. And the fifth danger, it brings much misery. Much misery. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It means grief, sorrows. You pursue this pathway of desiring to be rich, getting more and more and more. Climbing the corporate ladder. And what does it yield? Pain. Because in the process of pursuing wealth, you will lose lots of friends and lots of enjoyments. Saddle your life with anxiety. Sometimes your marriage and children will be devastated. And we have all these homes in our affluent culture and it can all look so good, but inside there is so much pain and quarreling and anger and resentment and bitterness and just plain emptiness, deep sadness. Because the doctrine that godliness is a means of gain is deadly, money can't bring you true eternal gains. It can't make you happy. We know that, but it's easier to receive that poison, get injected with it, and, and do it anyway. Now, secondly, there's only one doctrine that leads to true love and happiness and peace and eternal life. Healthy doctrine. Healthy doctrine leads to contentment and eternal gains. Remember that in chapter 4, 7 and 8, physical training holds some value for this life, but godliness holds value in all things for this life already? The blessings of walking with the Lord? And for the life to come. You see, there's another kind of godliness, a true godliness, that brings contentment with it. 
It's not a false godliness that involves the love of money that seeks earthly gains, material gains, but a true godliness that is full of Christ and is content in him. And again, he's going to describe that godliness more in verse 11 and following. Just look at 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee those things, false doctrine that craves the love of controversy and the love of money. Flee that. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Hold on to the sound doctrines, what he's saying. That will lead to true godliness, healthy godliness, contentment godliness, which brings great gain Remember the soil that it grows up in, verse 3? It comes from the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. That's the healthy doctrine that results in, that brings godliness with it. That arises from the mystery of godliness. Remember, spoken of in 3, verse 16. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. True godliness is four things. Let me just list them. The real presence of Jesus Christ in your life by faith. Eating the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the real presence of Jesus Christ in your life by faith that uproots earthly addictions. Idols. Idols. The love of money. The desire to be rich. Jesus, love of Jesus, trust in him cannot dwell in the same heart as the love of money. He will uproot that. He will destroy that. And when it comes back to attack us, which it does, he will throw it out again. So that's a heart and life focused on him, on the eternal life we have in him, the riches we have in him, the glorious inheritance that is ours in him. When that becomes your focus, then your desire to be rich and the love of money fades from the scene because I know, I know that joy is not found in that. That having abundance can't make me any fuller and having less can't make me any less. Because when I have Jesus, I have everything. That's the focus of true godliness, the true doctrine that leads to godliness. It doesn't depend on or rest in material riches. Its fullness is found in having Jesus. And that's why we're satisfied then with the bare necessities of life. Oh, what a difficult thing in affluent Western culture. That's the first thing. True doctrine that leads to true godliness is the real presence of Jesus Christ in your life by faith. Secondly, the true doctrine understands that money can't buy you happiness and that leads to true godliness. Possessions can't give you the things that are most important. John Lennon of Beatles fame at the height of his success wrote a letter to an evangelist and he quoted his own lyric, the song, Money Can't Buy Me Love. Can't Buy Me Love is the title of the song. And he wrote to the evangelist, it's true. Money can't buy me love. The point is I want happiness and I don't want to keep on with drugs. 
please explain to me what Christianity can do for me. Is it phony? Can he love me? I want out of this hell. That's what he said. I want out of this hell. Millions of women screaming after him. More money than he knows what to do with in a lifetime. I want out of this hell. He's pierced through with many sorrows. Money can't buy him love. You see, the true doctrine gets that. Lays hold on Jesus Christ. Lays hold on the eternal life in him. Sees him as the greatest good in my life. The joy in my life. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. The third thing. The true doctrine that leads to true godliness understands the principle nothing in, nothing out. Verse seven, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. That's what Job, the wealthiest man in the ancient world, discovered he lost everything the world could give him. And what did he do? He fell on the ground and he worshiped and he said, naked I came into this world. I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all fleeting. We can take none of it with us. Only Christ can give you what really matters, what lasts forever, solid joys and lasting treasures of eternal pleasures at God's right hand in heaven on earth. When J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in history, the oil tycoon in the U.S., when he died, many people were wondering how much wealth he left behind. And finally, somebody got a hold of his assistant. How much did he leave behind? And his assistant said, everything. Truly, everything. Nothing in, nothing out. And finally, the true doctrine, the healthy doctrine that leads to contentment and great gain understands the principle of traveling light. Traveling light. As the apostle says, we can take nothing We took nothing into this world. We can take nothing out if we have food and clothing. Verse 8, with these we will be content. John Stott says, possessions are only the traveling luggage of time. They're not the stuff of eternity. It would be sensible, therefore, to travel light. Traveling light. The more I get, the more I have to worry about. And there are unique temptations that come with that and responsibilities. The proverb says, contentment is knowing that if I am not satisfied with what I have, I will not be satisfied with what I want either. Discontentment always wants something more or something else. It always thinks about what it lacks. But even when you get what you think you want, a new home, a better job, another outfit, more toys, whatever, you soon find that you're discontent all over again. Oh, people of God, Christianity has so much more to offer. Infinitely more. Jesus Christ, the true treasure of the soul. What the human heart really needs is not gold, but God. And anyone who comes to God through Jesus Christ, you will find meaning, you will find purpose, joy, and even satisfaction with life that will root out the desire to be rich and the love of money 
as Paul says at the end of the chapter, and able you to enjoy your wealth in a way that can let go of it for God's glory. When Pastor was given a poem from a teenager, it said it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit again. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Because you see, discontentment is life's burglar. It's life's burglar. It robs every other experience of its God-given joy. Someone who is discontent is always operating at a loss. Doctrine has consequences. The love of money leads to disaster, distress, and eternal destruction. The love of Christ leads to godliness with contentment. And that is great gain in this life and in the life to come. Let's pursue him, Christ. Amen. Lord our God, we know that wherever you plant a seed and it grows, there's a counterfeit. Satan plants alongside it. Wherever there's the sound doctrine, the true doctrine, the good doctrine, somebody puts bad doctrine alongside it that almost looks the same but is entirely different. Give us discernment to see the difference. May we lean on Christ alone. The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching that accords with godliness. And in his name, Lord, change us more and more into your godly sons and daughters. Help us not to be duped by the lie of the desire to be rich and the lie, the unhealthy craving of the love of money, but rather to be discipled to the way of Jesus Christ, who alone is our salvation and godliness. In his name we pray, amen.